Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is December the 8th, 2021. Talking to you from San Francisco, as always, uh, one day's time on the other coast of the United States, the inferior coast, the East Coast, there's <laughs> an important event happening on the 9th of December, the Summit for Democracy uh, that Joe Biden is putting on. It's quite a controversial event, as many of you know. He, uh, Politico is calling it a two-day Zoom plan to remake democracy, as so often with Joe Biden, it might be slightly overambitious. Um, the Chinese and the Russians, of course, have been attacking Biden's summit on democracy. No surprises there. Um, but many others as well. Opinion piece in the Post about the big ugly truth that Biden cannot conceal from the world about the US. Perhaps that truth is that America isn't much of a democracy at the moment. Um, another op-ed in the Post suggesting on, on the summit, what's democracy got to do with it? And it's a good question, given that there are a lot of very non-democratic people being invited, including the leaders of the Philippines and Hungary, two leading anti-democratic states. Um, China is claiming ahead of the summit that they're a democracy. Uh, I'm not convinced of that. They may be an efficient regime, but anything but a democracy. Um, two authors, who one of whom is a good old friend of mine, J J James Goldgeier and Bruce Gentleson, are saying that it was never a good idea, but there's a possibility it could still work. Actually, Goldgeier and Gentleson were on the show this time last year warning about uh, the dangers of a summit on democracy. Um, so should there be a summit and, and what to make of it? My guest today on the show has an interesting new book out. It's not focused exclusively on democracy, but I think the message in the book is extremely relevant in terms of not only the crisis of contemporary democracy, particularly in the United States and around the world, but also uh, the nature of this summit. The book is called The Enablers, How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption, Endangering Our Democracy. It's by um, uh, an Anglo-American now based in Washington, D.C., called Frank Vogel, who's an active anti-corruption activist. And I'm thrilled that Frank is joining us from Washington, D.C. today. Frank, what to make of the Summit of Democracy? Is it going to be a farce? Thank you for having me. Um, it's always good when uh, the topic of how to sustain, strengthen our democracy is out there in the public domain. Uh, it's an incredibly complicated subject. I think if there are high expectations, uh, that's a mistake. But... Um, a lot of good things are likely to be discussed at the margin, which over the next year uh, could 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 evolve and actually make a positive difference. So uh, I go in there with some very very cautious optimism, hope hoping that Joe Biden, when he opens the meeting, will acknowledge that this democracy 
And in fact, almost all Western democracies are very troubled today. And if we really want to have a summit for democracy, we must look at the weaknesses at home and not merely point the fingers at the obvious targets, uh, Russia, China, Iran, and so on. Yeah, that's exactly what um, Goldgeier and Gentleson warned us about last year and what they're suggesting uh, the problems structurally with this um, event is. I wonder if there's any coincidence, Frank, that um, in the few days leading up to the conference, uh, the US government has announced a, a whole series of um, strategies to counter corruption. Here's a, a White House fact sheet to... Uh, Two, two headlines, one from the Wall Street Journal and over the last two or three days, one on the Biden administration unveiling its plans to fight corruption um, and uh, a similar headline uh, on the Hill, both very influential uh, publications. Um, is it a coincidence or are these two things just happening at the same time? Frank? Well, it's totally it's it's totally planned. It's totally orchestrated. Um at the same time, uh, the U.S. Treasury issued yesterday guidelines that are very, very important for uh, revealing the true identity of people who buy real estate in, this, in the United States. And that also figures into this uh, whole democracy summit, because a major part of the democracy summit is dealing with issues of corruption. It's all planned. It's all stage managed. The report by the White House, the strategy, as they call it, uh, is basically a very long laundry list of everything that everybody who's talked to the White House and said, you've got to include this or you've got to include that. It's all in the strategy. And, and that's all welcome. The, the, but, you know, once again, uh, is it all talk? Is it all fine rhetoric? Um, I've been in this anti-corruption uh, arena for 30 years, and I've heard so many wonderful speeches, uh, but so often there hasn't been really concrete action to follow. I remain optimistic. Well, you look optimistic, Frank, and it's good to have an optimist on the show. We've done a number of shows about corruption and the, the nastiness the, the dirty money system in the global economy. Tom Burgess, a Financial Times journalist, was on the show a couple of years ago. Brilliant journalist, a wonderful book on dirty money. Um, equally good, if not better, is Catherine um, Belton, Putin's People, another book about the rottenness, not just of Putin's people, but the way in which the KGB uh, and, and Putin's um, economic principles or lack of principles are reshaping uh, the global economic system. Uh, there was a court case earlier uh, in uh, late November in the UK in which uh, Roman Abramovich, one of Putin's henchmen, sued uh, Belton. Unfortunately, uh, Abramovich seems to be winning. Uh, we also had David Schimer on the show uh, last year talking about the ideology of Putinism. It's one way, Frank, to join the dots of today's neo-authoritarian world in terms of corruption. The people like Putin don't seem to have an ideology apart from getting rich. Uh, the same might be true of uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil, 
Erdogan in Turkey, uh, Orban in Hungary. They're all in the business of getting rich and enabling their hench people to get rich. Is that fair? Uh, absolutely. We live in an era where authoritarian governments are increasingly emerging with ever greater power in many parts of the world. And what they all have in common is that they are all run by kleptocrats. That is people who steal from the national treasury for their personal benefit. The kleptocrats and their cronies are basically stealing from their citizens in ways that massively increase their personal wealth, in ways that enable them also to provide under the table perks and benefits to their most loyal supporters which keeps their loyalty and helps to keep them in power but also of course all of this grand theft means enormous damage to their citizens and so many people around the world live in serious poverty in large part because the public services that their government should be providing are not being provided for the sole reason that the money's been stolen didn't even mention uh, Duterte in the Philippines, Maria Ressa, who just won the Nobel Prize, an old friend of mine. I've been to Manila a couple of times to talk at uh, Maria's conferences, Rappler conferences. Um, who, who's the worst of this crew, Frank? Uh, do, do people particularly come to mind? Putin, of course. Are, are the Chinese any different from no. the Russians or the Filipinos or, or the Turks or the Hungarians? No, not at all. Uh, when you say who are the worst, it's a very complicated question. But let me just give a couple of points. One, the people such as Russia, such as China, such as Iran, lock up anybody who the rulers perceive as potential critics. Uh, in some cases, they murder them. Um, and that means journalists. That means so civil society activists, it can mean academics. In some cases, they go well beyond their borders to go and kidnap critics, bring them home, put them in jail. We just saw that uh, with the government of Rwanda that just did that. Uh, they go abroad to try and murder people. Vladimir Putin has done that. Many uh, times and continues to do it. Uh, so, but I would rather focus attention uh, not so much on all of those people who have been murdered and jailed and censured, even though that's terribly important. And I'm very glad, by the way, that the Biden strategy that you mentioned earlier has a specific item in there about protecting journalists and civil society activists. But I would also like to draw attention on the enormous amount of violence and poverty that we see in countries like in Central America, for example, in quite a number of sub-Saharan African countries, in Somalia, for example, um, that we've seen in, in Afghanistan over many years, countries where the state has basically failed, where the people in power are put themselves above the law and use the law to really enhance their power at the expense of everybody else and where we see as a result enormous refugee problems enormous hunger enormous destitution um 
So, but you know, this is a, a picture that many have written about, many have documented for a long time. And uh, right now, perhaps the worst picture of all, if you ask me to name one country, I would say Syria. Mm. Uh, yeah, and there was a there was a headline. I didn't include it in um, the graphics for this show, but there was a headline about the enormous wealth being created by an illicit drug cartel within Syria, which is uh, intimately connected with the Assad family. The Assad family now has basically plundered and controlled every aspect of an economy that is only one tenth the size of what it was before the civil war started. Uh, and there are millions and millions of refugees from Syria. The countries to rehabil restore the country after all the destruction from the civil war, probably estimates range upwards of $250 billion. And, and the plunder by Assad and the torture of his enemies and so on, we could go on. But you know, the problem with this discussion is not that it's not terribly important and it's not that people have written about it so much. It's that it tends to produce a picture of them and us. And the the reality is corruption's universal. And all these people who are stealing the wealth of their nations also want to invest it safely. And that means getting it away from possible, from possibly the hands of people who come after them. If these leaders are ever displaced, they know they're going to be uh, hounded, but they also know their wealth will be. So they try and put it somewhere where it's safe. And that brings us back directly to the United States and to Western Europe. So it's a universal problem and not just one of them and us. Uh, with that uh, message in mind, Frank, do we need to focus on our banks? I know your book... Uh talks a little bit about a, a French bank, a Society General Essay, and their ways of enabling kleptocracy in Africa. Again, I'm sure they're not the only bank. How rotten is the Western financial system, and particularly its leading banks? How much does uh, Joe Biden's um, attempt to reform um, corruption need to focus on cleaning up Wall Street? Uh, for the first time, the U.S. government has issued a report, and that's this new strategy, that pays very high attention to illicit finance coming into the United States, and it, to and here they even use the term, the phrase I use as the title of my book, to the enablers, the bankers, the lawyers, the auditors, the financial consultants, the art dealers, the real estate. It's brokers. all of us, Frank. Though it's all very well pointing to the 1% or the 0.1%, we're all benefiting from this. Me in San Francisco with my real estate, uh, people who own restaurants, people who own bars, uh, it's, it's, it's 10 or 15% of the wealthiest people in the West who are benefiting from this, isn't it? Yes, but the people that I'm pointing the finger at are actually aiding and abetting the kleptocrats in illegal activity. Because when they manage stolen funds and bring them into this country, they are essentially laundering the loot. And that's illegal. And the major, major cases that we've seen, Goldman Sachs, 
uh, JP Morgan Chase, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, BNP Paribas in France. These cases have run into billions of dollars and the banks have paid fines because they've got caught for criminal activity. They paid fines, but nothing has happened to the chairman of these banks. Nothing has happened to the chief executive officers. They never prosecuted. And at the same time, they never lose their jobs. Uh, and they look at these fines as basically the cost of doing business. And that's fundamentally wrong. Yeah, you don't need to convince me, Frank. What about the role of technology? We had last year Don Tapscott, my old friend, who's written, as always, a best-selling book about blockchain, suggesting that the radical transparency of peer-to-peer -peer finance can clean up a lot of the kleptocracies around the world. Uh, uh, do you buy the new Bitcoin uh, blockchain craze for financial transparency, or is it just another game which the corrupt play? It's a game. As I've talked to people at the FBI about this because I don't claim to really understand all the aspects of it at all. One of the things that's very clear is that organized crime is using uh, cryptocurrencies. And they may be using it to an increasing degree because there are aspects of it that enable it to be quite secret. And we're not having the transparency we'd like. The kleptocrats, on the other hand, and by the way, all kleptocrats also work with organized crime. So that needs to be stated. But the kleptocrats, on the other hand, it seems, have always wanted to put their money into very safe and secure not volatile investments. And that means they're not likely at the least of the time being to put them into cryptocurrencies, which are very volatile in terms of their value. They'd much prefer to put them in to long-term real estate, uh, to, to master works of art, uh, to gold and jewelry. Um, and of course, primarily into the most conservative aspects of the stock market. Frank, I'm going to take a break. We are talking uh, on this show, most important conversation, Frank Vogel's new book, The Enablers, How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption, Endangering Our Democracy. It's out just in time for Joe Biden's Summit for Democracy. Perfect timing, Frank. And when it comes to perfect timing, we'll be back in about 90 seconds to talk specifically about fixes, because it's one thing to reveal all the problems it's quite another to, 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 to suggest fixes for this crisis. So stay with us, everyone. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. 
if you're into watching this as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Kino. We are back with uh, Frank Vogel, the author of The Enablers, um, a really interesting and important new book about fighting corruption and saving democracy. Uh, Frank, one of the people you cite positively in the book um, is, uh, is Paul Volcker, um, who uh, just had a, a book last year coming out about his life of public service, Keeping At It. Uh, do we need a, a new generation of public servants like Volcker committed to the public good? Yes, we do. And we need, at the same time, a new generation of leaders of business and finance who are, were of exactly the same generation and ilk as Paul Volcker. It was a remarkable group. I had the great privilege of working with Paul Volcker over a number of years, as well as with some quite remarkable leaders of finance. Um, and they all had a very deep concern that what they were doing, whether it was in the public sector or the private sector, served the broader understanding of the public interest. There were a lot of people in business for a long time and I, many of them were influenced by the Great Depression. They were influenced by World War II, who truly believed that you could run a very successful, profitable business and at the same time serve your customers well and serve the nation's interest well. And Paul Volcker, uh, who died last year, only shortly after uh, publishing this wonderful memoir, uh, Paul at the end of his life was very, very depressed about what had happened, uh, particularly in finance, uh, where he saw so much happening solely for the purpose of maximizing short-term profit, without where a culture in banking of serving the customer or the public interest had really almost been cast aside to the god of very short-term profit producing very large compensation and bonuses for the very top people. We need more Paul Volkers without any question. I mean, Paul Volkers is a very high profile guy, but there are a lot, I know I've got a couple of friends, one who made a lot of money on Wall Street, who now has a nonprofit committed to uh, helping underprivileged kids get uh, work. Another friend of mine in London, who I was just with at the weekend, um, who's also investing, uh, another successful business guy, investing uh, in, 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 in making, uh, in, in improving the public good. 
are you suggesting that more successful people in Wall Street and private enterprise should be focusing on this issue of transparency in particular, Frank? In part, but, you know, many years ago, we did a survey in the anti-corruption group Transparency International that I was involved with, where we found that there were many individuals who believed greatly in philanthropy. They believed greatly in uh, doing good in their private lives, and yet decided that when they were in the office, a different set of ethics ruled. Um, what I'm talking about is people in their business positions uh, understanding that short-term profit maximization is not and should not be the sole driver of a business culture. Uh, it's not to do with whether they're good guys outside of business and give lots of things to lots of money to charity, which many of them do and which I applaud. It is that it is not in the public interest for our leading financial institutions to be working so closely with Russia and other authoritarian regimes that mean us no good. And we have to have an open discussion about that. At the same time, because you asked about how do we fix the problem, we have the long-term issue which really needs to be unpacked and which I hope Joe Biden will talk about at the Summit for Democracy, but I'm skeptical. And that is that we've got too much concentrated money uh, in our politics. And the financial sector, including real estate, including the Bar Association, are very major players as lobbyists, as campaign contributors, as working the political establishment networks here in the US, but also in the UK and certainly across the European Union to ensure that the regulations on their industries are far from what the public actually needs. Uh, and this is a very key issue. And it, it is a key issue, Frank. Um, corruption. I uh, host another show called How to Fix Democracy, and we've been focusing on this. Uh, our second series last year focused on this relationship between capitalism and democracy. We had number of economists, including um, Robert Frank, the Cornell University economist, who argue that the real problem with the crisis of democracy is our structural inequality. We even had Richard Wolff on, one of America's leading socialist or perhaps even Marxist thinkers, who are arguing for the dismantling of capitalism itself. Um, what's your position on that? Is, is, is Wolff onto something, Frank? He's very popular. And the the Bernie wing of the Democratic Party is increasingly strong when it comes to um, thinking very critically about the future of capitalism. Uh, I make two points. First of all, it's really interesting that the anti-corruption laws in the United States had, and I think even new legislation today have, bipartisan political support. And you ask, well, why is that? And the reason is because conservatives uh, acknowledge that corruption undermines a free market system. It undermines actually the competitive system of capitalism, which all conservatives consider to be the backbone of the strength of the American economy. So 
this anti-corruption issue per se is bipartisan. The deeper issue about money in politics, I think, is a question of special interests. We have, of course, in this country, an incredible wealth inequality. The gap has become so great that it leads fundamentally to enormous amount of distrust of government, and all the polls show that. Uh, so many Americans believe they've missed out somehow in, in the booming economy, uh, and the data certainly supports that. But you don't tear down capitalism, and you don't tear down the Constitution, and you don't tear down the whole system in order to find a solution to that. Um, and I think it's a very complicated problem. I don't think there's a quick answer to it. But I do know that in the much narrower field of corruption, which is so important to our democracy and to trust in government, we have laws and regulations on the books that are not being enforced. And you have to start with the rule of law. And if the vested interests, the special interests have so much power that they can effectively see that laws and regulations that serve the public good are not being implemented, are not being enforced, then there's something absolutely wrong that we can correct quickly. Frank, one other area we focused on in my How to Fix Democracy series are new ways of doing democracy. Um, we had David von Raybrook, who's um, an innovator, pioneer of citizen assemblies from Belgium. Um, these are in the news recently because they were successful in terms of addressing the, the complicated and very controversial issue of abortion in Ireland. Um, do you think we need citizen assembly style institutions in which experts and ordinary citizens can work together to understand corruption and how to protect ourselves from it? Uh, I well, on the issue of corruption, I think uh, we do have some of this, not nearly enough, and it goes deeper than I think you're even suggesting. There was a time in the United States when civics was taught in most schools. It isn't today. Uh, most Americans are growing up without a real understanding of the checks and balances of the political system, without a real understanding of some of the most basic features and tenets of the American Constitution. And that makes them very, very open to a lot of misinformation about how the country is governed. So we needed the national debate, and it really you know, take the experts, take the academics, but also particularly take the citizens, uh, ordinary citizens, to discuss how we can put civics back onto the school agenda and what that means. More specifically on corruption, let me just tell you, uh, the organizations I work with work across the world. Right, uh, and, I, and I wanted to talk about I, those organizations, Frank, in particular, uh, the Partnership for Transparency, and you mentioned earlier, Transparency International. For people watching this who care about this stuff, are these the kind of institutions people should um, donate their labor or money to? Uh, 
Well, let me, yes, absolutely. Uh, let me just explain very briefly what they are. Transparency International is an organization that some friends of mine and I, Transparency International, created 30 years ago uh, to be the first global organization to try and directly counter corruption. We now have 100 national organizations. In other words, organizations operating in 100 different countries. Uh, and many of those are very, very effective on the ground. And we can talk more about that. The Partnership for Transparency Fund, which I helped to create in 1998, and which I'm now the chairman of the board, is a very different beast. It works solely on specific anti-corruption projects, supporting civil society organizations, activists in their own countries, as they go about trying to reduce corruption in schools, in health clinics, in the judiciary, in public procurement, and so on. So we have brought together about 60 retired experts in the field of development who volunteer all of their time to helping civil society in many, many countries to improve basic service delivery by getting rid of corruption in villages, communities, towns, and rural areas. And it's very, very effective. And it comes down to this fundamental issue. Trust the people. In every country, you will find citizens who are determined to counter corruption. They're very courageous in many cases, and they need our support. And the problem with the Biden summit is it's government to government, and it isn't likely to show enough support for the courageous civil society people in many, many countries are on the front line organizing protests against national governments, but also working in COVID relief, for example, to see that vast numbers of uh, fraudulent vaccines are not being distributed. Just one example. Well, Frank, I think you're doing that yourself. It's a brave book, The Enablers, How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption, Endangering Our Democracy. I think it's a must read for anyone who cares about the future of our democracy. And I assume we all care about that. Congratulations on the book, Frank. Uh, what else, in addition to The Enablers, should people be reading to make sense of our complicated, corrupt, kleptocratic world? A brand new book that uh, came out, in fact, the same day as my book uh, is called American Kleptocracy. It's by a New York based journalist called Casey Michel, a young man who has gone out and really investigated how dirty money has bought real estate in Cleveland, in Houston, in Beverly Hills. He names the names of those people who've done the investment. He then digs deeper to find the local lawyers, the local real estate brokers who've helped in this activity. And he shows in a micro way exactly the sort of types of questions and issues that we've been discussing today in a big picture way. Uh, that's a brand new book. Is he, uh, is he a friend of yours, Frank? Uh, He's an acquaintance. I've actually... Well, I hope you can help uh, persuade him to come on the show because I think it'd be a good compliment. I, 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 and I don't I'd think be, you can talk enough about these issues. I'd be delighted to do that. And uh, he is part of a whole group of young people. I call them young people, certainly relative to me, who are now working in different organizations to lobby really, really hard to make this issue an issue of 
prime importance on Capitol Hill and in the White House. And they're doing a very, very good job. And um, they, and I hope the public more broadly will, will, will get involved in this. Write to congressmen and say, look, you've got to do more to expose the corruption in our midst. You've got to do more to enforce these laws and to get the budgets for enforcement that are necessary. And you've got to do more to directly talk about money in politics, because that is the that is the undermining disease, the undermining uh, danger to our democracy today, and one that the Russians and the Chinese are exploiting here in our country, and we have to guard against it. You've got to do more. One way of starting doing more is reading Frank Vogel's new book, The Enablers. Frank, real honor to have you on the show. You, 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 you articulate this stuff very coherently, and I'd love to have you back again because the subject isn't going away and may indeed become perhaps the most important subject of the 2020s. Thank you so much, Frank. Congratulations. Keep well, keep fighting, and uh, we'll talk again in the not-too-distant future. So good of you to have me. Thank you very, very much.